podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Red Inca listeners, this is Nick, the producer, popping in to let you know that our lovely friend Jared has had a small accident skateboarding like a rad cool dude on his way home from commentating on day three of the first England-India test match. As such, he's going to be needing some rest, so we're using this time to remaster some great episodes from Red Inca's past. Excellent! This week, we bring you episode 17 with Tabrez Shamsi from South Africa, originally released on the 1st of July 2020, just as we really started to get a feel for what the show is about. Tabrez has seen fantastic success since his appearance on our show, winning player of the series against the West Indies in the recent T20 Internationals, and featuring heavily in their series win in Ireland. He's currently on deck for the Oval Invincibles in the 100, and this interview just hammers home what a wonderful person he is. This episode also links quite nicely with our most recent episode of Double Century, about how South Africa's spinners spun their way to their first test win against England in 1905. We hope to be back with new episodes of Red Inca as soon as possible from Jared, myself and the rest of the team. Thank you all for your support and patience. Party on, dudes! Welcome to Red Inca, the thought of a left arm wrist spinner from South Africa making it as a T20 gun for hire is so weird even after it's already happened. We've been programmed to think of South African cricket a certain way, but it is changing and no one shows that more than my guest today. Tabrez Shamsi, left arm spinner for South Africa. In this chat, we cover a lot of ground from his early career through to making it as a CPL and IPL player. We also talk about the role of Imran Tahir, how he changed South African cricket, and a little bit with Faf Duplessis as well. And we look at how other leagues have helped really change cricket and how it can be tough for a South African spinner. All right, let's start with the very tough questions early on, mate. Do you celebrate the way that you do because you're so excited with the fact that you're allowed to bowl spin in South Africa? Yeah, I think so. Um, that's a big one, you know. I think we, we did have a chat earlier about this. And um, yeah, growing up in South Africa, of course. Um, yeah, I'm just happy to be out there, man, playing cricket. It's funny, I think, what, maybe Keswick Williams was the one who sort of started it. Although I suppose Dale Stane and Brett Lee did it as well. That organized celebration. Are you sitting at home thinking to yourself, all right, I've got to bring something out of the bag here. You know, you had your magic trick celebration. You've had a few different there. So are you planning these celebrations now? Are you workshopping them at home with your wife? Well, at the moment, I have a newborn baby and I'm studying and I have a wife now. So I don't think I have much time to think about my celebrations and stuff. But I mean, it's just a bit of fun, man. It's just my way of enjoying the moment rather than feeling the pressure. So yeah, that's the thinking behind my celebrations. I mean, people come out there, they take so much time to come and watch the game. I want to be entertained, you know, the game's moved on. People spend a lot of money on cricket as well. You know, they're spending money to come and watch us play. So just my way of giving a little bit extra back. I think you're downplaying your artistry there. I'll let you slide. How did you become a wrist spinner in South Africa? Um, so it's a funny story, really. So when I was in primary school, I actually used to be a fast bowler. I thought I was fast because when <laughs> I got to high school, when we had the under 14 trials to see who would be placed in the A side or B sides or whatever, um, the coaches came around, put their arm around my shoulder and basically just told me that I wasn't quick enough to be a fast bowler. And that really, you know, um, that's my ego because all this time I'm, I'm, I'm growing up thinking that I'm going to be Alan Donald or Sean Pollock opening the bowling for South Africa. I still have to work that one out because I, I think I still have a chance of opening the bowling for South Africa one day. 
but just not Alan. I thought it would be. You know, one of the coaches there that was at the trials wanted me to be a finger spinner because I would like run up and bowl these little cutters. You know, I didn't really swing the ball or anything. I wasn't really very quick. So my way of deceiving the batsman was to run up and bowl a quick spinner or run up and bowl a quick leg spinner. And just one of them said that I should become an off spinner and the other one said I must become a leg spinner. So I just asked each one why they wanted me to do that specific thing. And the coach that wanted me to become an off spinner just said because it's easier to control. It's just easier to bowl off spin. And for some reason, as a, as a 14-year-old, I suppose it's, it's my personality. You know, I, I just thought that why must I bowl this just because it's easier? Had he told me that it's, it troubles the batsman more or whatever, I would have done that. But just because he said it's easier to control, in that moment, a 14-year-old kid, I was just like, why must I do the easy thing? I'll do the harder thing and I'll practice hard enough to make the harder thing become easy for me. And it just started from there as at the age of 14. It's interesting you talk about that. Robin Peterson started out as a left-arm wrist spinner as well. And he was converted to left-arm finger spin because essentially the coaches at the time said it, the ball spins away from right-hand batsman. So it's a better art. So it's really interesting the way that South African coaches were thinking about spin. You and I have talked about this before. Uh, I wrote my big piece on Crick Info about how South African spin has changed over the last couple of years. And one thing that you said when I went back and listened to our chat was you said that South Africa doesn't have a history of spin. But I, I don't know how much you know about early South African cricket, but the first series they won, they had four wrist spinners in the team who took something like 44% of their wickets, some ridiculous amount. And then almost from that moment forward, wrist spin and then eventually finger spin just sort of died until we got to everyone in South Africa seems to be able to bowl about 85 miles an hour or quicker. Big broad-shouldered guys, you know. And it doesn't even seem to matter if, you know, what the ethnicity is, whether it's, you know, white English or black African or the Cape Pellet guys. Everyone seems to be these big, broad, fast guys. And all those spinners disappeared. And what you kept saying to me was a lot of it is just conditions-based. Yeah. After this, I would say that a lot has gone wrong in that time. Then Why did the spinners get killed? Because, you know, I think uh, when I spoke to you earlier, you know, up until probably when Imran Tahir came along and then, you know, basically forced the guys to see what a wrist spinner can do for the team. I mean, I think now a lot has changed. And yes, it is condition-based. You know, you go to India, even Bangladesh, I read a couple of articles where they're crying out for fast bowlers. You know, even in first-class games, they'll play one fast bowler and then it's just left arm off spin, like four of them playing in the team. So, yeah, I suppose it is conditions-based and you'd want to win the games, you know. You, you don't go into a championship not wanting to win the trophy. So I think you know, coaches get judged on that as well. Um, you know, everyone's judged on, on how we perform. So you can't fully blame them. But I suppose I see more and more faith being placed in spinners now, like you mentioned. But I think it is conditions-based. Mm. It's funny when you look at this sort of thing and you look at cricket in general. So, you know, England and New Zealand have a lot of 80 to 85 mile an hour bowlers who nibble it around. And Australia and South Africa usually have taller, stronger bowlers. And you realize how much of it is conditions based. But there's also a certain point that you wonder how many really good South African spinners sort of didn't get a chance just because they weren't the coaches. I mean, you talked about how you were very self-coached to me up until the point of really that you got to hang out with Imran Tahir and start to work with a mentor. Definitely. And I suppose that comes with the culture, you know, and it's like what you've seen work. Over these, you've seen fast bowlers coming in and you know, nipping the ball around, swinging the ball around and getting batsmen out. You don't feel the need that you need a spinner. And you still see that a lot of times in international cricket, you know, it's really your subcontinent teams that go in with, with, you know, backing the spinners to bowl teams out and stuff. But like I mentioned, those things have changed. And I think it was a nice change for Imi as well to have me around so he could speak to me about it because wrist spin is definitely different to finger spin. 
And you need someone that understands not just the good stuff, you know, the difficulties. You know, you need someone that will understand when you say, hey, the ball's not coming out right. Or what do you think about this field place? So, yeah, I think things have changed. Yeah, hopefully it continues. How important was the fact that he came from another cricket culture? I mean, he's almost not even a Pakistani cricketer at this point. He's played for so many different places. He's like an alien that sort of just dropped into South African cricket. I mean, we talk about your celebrations. He's got the big celebration. I mean, I've seen him run out of stadiums before, I'm pretty sure. He was so excited to getting wickets. He was also quite old and experienced and set in his ways. I know he's actually a guy who likes to learn and change a lot, but he's also, he knows what to do. I think it might have been harder if it had been a South African spinner with his talent coming up through because he would have faced a lot of roadblocks. Whereas because he was dropped in, was already so good in South Africa, Pakistan and England by that point, he sort of broke the mold a little bit of what people thought about spinners in South Africa. Yeah, definitely. Fully agree with you there. Um, I always used to joke around with Imi that you've mentioned that he's played all over the world for the most amount of teams. And he's quite proud of that. I mean, it's some, some achievement that so many different teams want you to be a part of their setup. And I'll tell him, you know, because every time we had a game, he'd want the most amount of tickets, no matter which city, which country we played. <laughs> I said to him that, hey, you know, even if we play on Mars, the first game that gets played, you're going to ask for tickets there as well because you'll have someone to give the tickets to. But yeah, it definitely helped that, you know, he came from the outside. I mean, you've got to have a bit of a thick skin. Of course, as you're growing up, um, you're a young kid, you, you're learning your trade, you're going to take in the, the information that the coaches give you. And you don't want to be that guy that's not listening to the coaches and being a rebel and doing your own thing. So it definitely did help that he came from the outside because like you mentioned, somebody that's in the system is not going to go against what's being told to them. Especially as a young kid, you're growing up, you can't come in there and tell the coaches that, no, I don't think this is the way to go about things. And so it definitely helped that he had learned things from the outside. And the beauty now of being able to play in different leagues, you see... I'm a big believer, like people just see the money side of things. Uh, yeah, cricketers just want to go and play for money. But it's not even that, you know, you learn so many things. There's so much you learn from the Indian cricketers in the IPL. The big thing that I learned was from the CPL and just to see how the West Indian guys enjoy themselves. So the games definitely change. You know, you pick bigger bits and pieces from all over the world. And, and that's amazing. And having a guy like Imi definitely did help me. You know, I keep on hopping on about it. We really you know, try to help each other out because... Basically, it was us that understood what goes on behind um, in a leg spinner's mind, so to speak. Even I remember um, we were at the Dolphins when I was 20 years old, when I got my first professional contract. And a couple of the coaches were telling me that a ball too quick, the traditional, you know, you've got to loop the ball up, get it above the batsman's eye line. You know, the game's evolved. And then Imi had already played for South Africa. So when he came back to train with the domestic team, you know, I spoke to him about it and just got his advice. And... His words clearly was, please stick to what you do. Because the higher up you go, the better batsmen, they will smash you all over the show. And that's one of the best pieces of advice that I received. And like you mentioned, if he wasn't from the subcontinent or from outside with all that experience, he would have never told me that, you know, if it was a spinner that had gone through the South African setup, would have had that same mentality. Like, okay, no, you better, you better do this. Mm. or You better listen to. So... I have a bit of a rebel streak in me as well. And it's not so much that, you know, you want to, you wanna, like I mentioned, when the coach said to me, the easier job is mm. to bowl off spin. Why must I do that? If the right way, according to everyone else, is to toss the ball up, why must I give up my strength? Because I was a seamer, that's why I bowl so quick as a spinner. You know, my run-up's long and I run in. My run-up as a seamer wasn't that much longer than it is now. So all those things I found to be something unique for me. You know, otherwise you can have 
guys that are doing the exact same thing. So what sets you apart? And that was the great piece of advice that I got from him, just because he is someone from the outside. And so the next thing that comes up a lot when we talk about South African spinners is the captaincy of issue. So I suppose there's selection as well. There's in and out, in and out. You're never quite sure if you're going to be playing and how many seamers can South Africa fit into a first-class team? It seems like five or six, and yet the spinners still can't get in. It goes back to what you were talking about before of getting experience in other leagues. You talked about the fact that Faf Duplessis had changed a lot because he had played a lot in India, especially under um, MS Dhoni. And you see him as a very different thinking captain to a lot of other South African captains, don't you, when it comes to spin? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I mentioned, you know, you pick up things from other guys, and that's the beauty of the game now. Yeah, with Faf, you see that. I mean, we've had a couple of local T20 comps and stuff. And he's always picked me first or second for his team instead of going for the fast bowlers because maybe having been in the IPL for so many years and seeing, you know, I mean, he's an experienced campaigner. He's seen so much of the game. So maybe he's picked up something and he's adapted and he's realized, you know what, for my team to win, I need this. And then he's backed his word. He's gone on and, and done things his way. So maybe that's what made him a successful captain as well. To go back to that selection point a little bit, how tough was it early on? Obviously, you showed a lot of promise early on in your career. It didn't mean that you were an automatic selection in teams, did it? Yeah, definitely. You know, there's been games um, where you've been man of the match and then you get left out the next game. I mean, it's not only myself. I've seen other spinners as well. And even though you're competing against each other, you feel there for the guys because you've been in that position. You see them being in that position. So... You've mentioned it, you know, the default drive is always to go with the extra seamer or go with a batsman that bowls a bit of spin. To win games, you need a proper spinner. And that's, I think, what we're seeing more and more. And perhaps, you know, you'll see a young seamer that has some talent or is showing some potential. They'll get fast-tracked because this guy's going to get us wickets. Whereas a spinner that's doing it in South African conditions, what makes you say that he can't do it when pitches are more helpful? And what was the bigger breakthrough moment for you? Is it, and I mean this more in trusting that you're at that next level. Is it playing for South Africa or is that point where you're a South African wrist spinner and other leagues around the world are interested in you? Yeah, you know, my journey was a little bit different. You know, we obviously see like you, you start off in the amateur setups then professional, then you go on to represent the A side, then play for South Africa and then you get selected for these leagues. And my journey just took a different toll. You know, I have to change teams to try and find enough regular game time, like you mentioned, not for the lack of taking wickets, but just to be able to get regular game time and I was fortunate enough to play an invitational game against the touring West Indies team. And that was also because I wasn't selected for the main first class team. So they took the rejects that weren't selected that week, put up an invitational team to play against them. And um, I ended up bowling quite decently. And Marlon Samuels was impressed with how I bowled. And he asked me if I would be interested to come to the CPL. And I mean, here's a guy that's not even playing regular franchise cricket in South Africa, being asked to come and play in, in a big T20 league. And I think the CPL was a big turning point for me because that's the first time I played against big international players and I handled myself. And the one watershed moment that I remember after the CPL, obviously I got picked up to come into the IPL for RCB as a replacement player. I didn't even know I was going to play that day because I just got off the plane. The coach had spoken to me and said the opportunities, um, but obviously not this game because I just arrived. And I think they just saw me bowling in the warm-ups and next thing I'm in the game. And I remember... You know, there's a few moments in your career where that stick out. And I think that's what you're asking for. I remember bowling to MS Dhoni towards the back end of the game. And I bowled a few balls to him. And then I was standing at the top of my mark. And I'm like, you know, this is possibly the best finisher that the games ever see. And I'm handling myself here. You know, I'm, 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 I'm doing okay here. I've got him under control and things are going the way I would like them to be. So 
all the people that have doubted me and then and, and made me feel like, okay, I'm not good enough. They can go and catch a hike because I'm here. I'm doing it against the best finisher that the game's ever seen. And I think that's where my self-belief grew, where because you, you take the negatives and you be like, okay, maybe I'm not good enough. Or, okay, I've got to do this, this, this. And from that moment, my mindset changed completely. It wasn't arrogance or anything. It was just that belief that like, you know, I've done it against the best. So I do not need to listen to people that want to bring me down. And I think it just flicked a switch from there. I remember I talked to Mark Butcher once about him playing for England and I think he was batting, must have been number three. He made a pair. As he walked out onto the field each time, all he could think is, I shouldn't be here. I haven't done enough to be selected. I'm not ready quite yet. And then later on in his career, when he would walk out, he would think, yeah, I feel different. So sometimes it is really that belief, isn't it? Because you're not only a cricket culture, it's not like South Africans are anti-spin. It's just that they haven't needed spin for a long time. You're also battling the fact that when they like spin, they're quite often like all-rounders or accurate finger spinners. And then you basically take the scenic route, let's call it scenic route, via CPL and around. So there must have been a lot of you going, maybe I'm just lucky, maybe I'm just in the right place at the right time. And then suddenly, MS Stoney's in front of you, he's not smashing you, and you're thinking to yourself, now I'm right, this is it, I do belong, I should be here. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's a lot of challenges. I'm sure every single person that's playing international cricket has had some moment where they thought, you know what, I've been at the right place at the right time. They could, it could have been someone else. And I, I'm really, really grateful for that. You know, those moments of not being picked for the franchise team to play a first-class fixture, because had I been picked, I would have never played the invitational game to bowl to Marlon Samuels. I would have not even maybe been playing cricket right now. So I'm really thankful for the journey that I've had. It's actually quite different to the others. So, you know, I can be happy sitting back and, and thinking, you know, the way my journey is panned out. And like you mentioned, you know, we've had great fast bowlers. We haven't had mediocre fast mm. bowlers. If you look at the best, you'll see so many South Africans in that list. So it's not because people don't like spin in South Africa. It's just, like you mentioned, they haven't needed it. So you go on to play test cricket and you played in Adelaide, I think, against Australia. And then you played about 18 months after that again. And now we're about two years since that. So you played two tests spread out over about three and a half years. You almost feel like had any done better in test cricket, they might have taken more of a risk on you, but they're still, it's quite weird actually. South Africa kind of went all in on wrist spin in white ball cricket, which you wouldn't expect, but they didn't go in on red ball cricket, which maybe was what people were thinking, especially back when you were coming through. Do you think if Imi had done better that you might've had a bit of a longer run to prove yourself? Absolutely. Like I mentioned, somebody's got to do it. Mm. to show people that it can be done this way as well. And um, unfortunately, like, you know, he didn't have the career that he would have liked. And definitely, if he had done better in um, Test Match Cricket, they would have realized, okay, you know what? There's a space for an attacking listener in our Test lineup as well. And it's funny enough, when I started my career, I was told that you're only a red ball bowler. You can't play in white ball crickets. For like the first two or three years of my career, I only played red ball cricket. I played, I think, one or two white ball games for the Dolphins. And then I moved to the Titans and I get told, listen, you're only a white ball bowler. So I didn't play a single first class game the first year that I was at the Titans, but I played most of the white ball games. So now here you are as a 22 year old thinking, what am I? Am I just rubbish? Because somebody tells me I'm not good enough to play white ball cricket. Other person tells me I'm not good enough to be a red ball bowler. And to be honest, starting out, I did believe more in my red ball cricket abilities because that's what I was playing more at and I was taking wickets. And unfortunately, things haven't panned out for me um, in test cricket and I'm getting more and more opportunities in white ball cricket. So you do tend to go towards a place where you are getting opportunities to try and get better. But to answer your question, definitely. Had Imi taken more wickets and blown people away like he did in white ball cricket, 
I think I would have had more from Niue. And one game here and then another game in two years' time, um, it doesn't really give you an opportunity to also prove what you can do. But so be it, you know, the team's been doing well and then there's a mold that they've um, gone for. And yes, I always want the team to do well and that's it. Mm. That mold is quite interesting, isn't it? When you look at the team, the way that they've gone about it, you know, Paul Harris, you know, uh, Robin Peterson, and Maharaj is maybe slightly different, but again, there have been a lot of very good cricketers who either could hold a bat or in Robin Peterson's case, be quite better. Or, you know, I even go back to Nicky Boyer and all those sorts of guys, sort of all-around cricketers. They kind of, even when South Africa go for a spinner, it is that very safe option. You're not a particularly safe option. You're, you keep calling yourself a rebel, which I like. But you always think in order to grow cricket in South Africa, you probably need, if, if not you, then another young, I know there's a couple of young spinners coming through at the moment as well, which is quite exciting. But there almost needs to be that breakthrough because it feels like South Africa cricket will always do what has just been successful before it. It seems like a very conservative cricket culture in that way. Of, this is working now, we would go with this. And then this is working now, we would go with this. So it does need that. So how many tests do you think you need sort of in a row to show your best game? I don't know. I think probably need at least four or five games, you know, to make mistakes. Or if I had to put a number on it, probably five. You know, yeah. if after five, you haven't picked up on your mistakes and worked on them, then maybe this thing's not for you. But yeah, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say five. The reason I ask that is because, so England have just released their top 55 players list, essentially, for the lockdown preparations. And they haven't put a couple of medium pace bowlers who've been taking a lot of wickets in it. And I was having a look around the world and you see a lot of these sort of very good you know, guys who bowl at Vernon Philander's pace, for instance, guys like Imran Khan from Pakistan and Trent Copeland from Australia. A lot of these guys are out there that take heaps of wickets at the first class level and they come in and they get like one test or two tests and then they disappear. And when I started thinking about that, I thought that's also, it's a bowling thing. I think we do it with fast bowlers a little bit, although they get, probably come back more often, but we also do it with spinners. It's very hard to tell if someone is a test quality spinner based on one test in 18 months and then 18 months later, isn't it? it? The conditions could be against you. The batsman could be against you. It could just be one of those days where you're nervous, the ball doesn't come out right. There's a lot of things that go wrong. And I think that batsmen seem to get a couple more tests and bowlers do, just don't seem to get that opportunity as much. Yeah, definitely. I think it all boils down to backing, isn't it? I'm just going to mention one name, Shane Warne. I don't think he had a great start to his test career. If no one backed him then, we wouldn't have seen the greatest leg spinner ever. So yeah, a lot of it has to do with backing. And any great player, you know, you see the greats of old, um, even batsmen. There's been many that have had shaky starts to their careers, but somebody backed them. And then they came through to show exactly what they can do. So I think backing for, for players will do wonders. I don't know what else to say besides that. No, that makes sense. So you talked about before about having to focus more on the white ball game because that's where the opportunities have come up for you. And there's just been a big article on Crick Info written about a specialist. And I've talked to a lot of guys who've gone on to be specialist T20 players. And I think we'll see maybe the separation between the two. As you have to play in more and more leagues around the world and represent South Africa more and more in white ball cricket, are you going to be sort of left behind in the skills that you need to keep developing as a red ball bowler? Especially as we know, wrist spinners quite often develop well into their 30s when it comes to red ball cricket. Is that a worry for you? Or is it just, it doesn't matter, I've got to go where the opportunity is? No, I don't, I'm not worried about that. No, first and foremost, my priority will always be South African cricket. And at this moment, if I'm required in white ball cricket, then that's where I'm going to focus. Um, you know, and try and develop my skills. I think T20 cricket has, has made me a smarter bowler as well. You know, people speak about first-class cricket and bowling a lot of overs. But 
you know that you've got to be switched on to be bowling in T20 cricket because if you're sleeping, you're going to get carted to all parts. So I feel my bowling's developed quite a lot because of T20 cricket. And like I mentioned, you, you rub shoulders with guys from different countries. So if your ears are open and your brain is switched on, you can pick up a lot of things and implement them in your game. So yeah, I'm not too worried about that. They talk about wrist spinners being, especially a bowler, who needs to bowl a lot of balls. Can that be a problem on the T20 circuit? Because let's look at the CPL, for instance, that you played in. The CPL is basically, you're at a, a tiny airport for a long time, you get to the next island, then you get to the hotel, and the IPL is almost worse. There's not a lot of time to just get the amount of practice that you need into your arm. Yeah, definitely. You know, it can be challenging when you're on the, on the road all the time. But I suppose if you want to improve your game, you'll find a way. That would be my message. Um, I know... Yes, there are challenges with time, but you've got to find a way. If you want to be one of the best in the world, you've got to find a way. And that's the way I see it. Legacy, come to the end of the interview here. You're an incredible bowler who's, I think, already done a lot for South African cricket. Even if some of it is just playing in the IPL and CPL, I think being able to break that barrier and show what South African spinners are capable of is incredible. But going forward five, 10 years, as you're coming towards the end of your career, what would you have liked to have accomplished with your career? Well, look, firstly, I don't think I've done anything because of Africa. Like, besides the fact that... No, don't talk yourself down. You have. No, seriously, I'm only just getting started. Like I mentioned, <laughs> when I started playing against England in this previous summer, it literally felt like I was making my debut because before that I was playing a game here, playing another game two months later. So I don't count that as anything. I'm, I'm excited to try and achieve something, you know. I'm never somebody that's happy just being around. I always want to make an impact in the game. I always want to try and win the game for the team and get the best batsman out. So in looking forward, the way I see it, the benchmark has been set very high by Imi. I mean, I'd like to just try to achieve something like that, you know, just for the spinners coming in. And once I'm done with cricket, I would like people to still carry on believing in, in, in risk spinners in South Africa, if I can. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk yourself down, but I honestly think that it is a huge psychological change in the way that the world looks at South African spinners that you've been able to go forward. The fact that Marlon Samuels can have a look at you, and he's a very good player of spin, and pluck you out of nowhere, I think it shows partly that cricket has changed and that there's more free market ability now for players to be able to do that, which, which is great. But it also shows that people are looking at South African spinners in a different way, you know, that it's not what it used to be, which is, you know, an all-rounder or... A defensive thing. I mean, I know you're very proud of your number 11 batting skills, but they're not exactly translating into masses of amounts of runs there. So the fact that you've been able to do that, I think your career has already been really interesting. And I think that it'd be really interesting to see where you are in five years, because I think that watching you play against England this summer, because I was obviously out there, I thought that you were ready to take that next step in your bowling. And you're at that age now where wrist spinners start to get better. I mean, let's be fair, Imi didn't even get good until he was about 38, 39. Yeah, I mean, Imi didn't even make his international debut until later on, you know, I think 32 or 33, if I'm not mistaken. But just the whole makeup of the team as well, you know, from being somebody that's just playing an odd game here and there we see a, in a series to being one of the guys that's actually been in the setup for one of the longest times, um, you know, so I've had to grow up as well. The makeup of the South African teams changed a lot, but it's quite exciting, you know. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it to you. People see a lot of um, guys that haven't played much international cricket us in the squad, you know exactly what each guy is capable of. And that's really exciting. You know, um, we've basically become the unknown package for the rest of the world. And then we're quite happy with that. You know, we're not dangerous. The guys are in the squad and it's quite exciting for us. 
Yeah, beautiful. Well, you know, you've gone from being an unknown package yourself to being a very well-known bowler around the circuit. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears, and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets. If you're enjoying Red Inca but want to know more about Fred Spoffer's moustache or the time Vizzy got stumped looking like a buffoon or any other great stories from Cricket's past, well, I have a History of Cricket podcast called Double Century. This time we look at something that will please cricket fans around the world, except maybe from one country, because we're looking at the first time teams defeated England. It's a different kind of podcast series in that it's mostly narrated, but there will also be some key episodes that I'm interviewing the players involved. You can hear this by finding Double Century in your favorite podcast app.